Well, good evening, everybody. Merry Christmas. Uh, thank you for coming out this evening. It's awesome to see such a huge crowd. Uh, my name is Paul Mumaw, and I'm the lead pastor here, and I uh, just love being a part of this church. And if you're new with us tonight, thank you. Uh, thanks for taking the time to be here. We want you to know that you are always welcome to be with us. I have to tell you, though, that I don't really feel like I should say anything, especially after watching that kid video, all right? I had tears streaming uh, down my cheeks. Maybe you did, too. And so I feel like all I can do is mess it up from this point. Uh, because our kids did such a great job of uh, sharing the Christmas story. But, well, I worked on this all day, so I guess I'll share it with you anyways. But, uh, hey, if you're new with us tonight, all month long, we have been asking this question at Genesis, a question that goes like this. What would happen uh, if we made an intentional effort uh, to be less focused on the extras at Christmas. And when I say less focused on the extras, I'm talking about the, the out-of-control spending that is so easy to fall into that trap. It's the countless gifts we buy for people, people that really don't need even one more gift. It's all the hustling that we do to all of the programs and parties. And so we're talking about how to be less focused on these, not that these don't matter. You know, moderation in these things can be a really good thing. But how can we be less focused on these items so that we can be more focused on what's truly most important for what matters most at Christmas, and for us, that's Jesus. Uh, Jesus is the most important thing for us at, at Christmas, and, and really all year long for that matter. I mean, he's the reason we worship. Uh, he's the reason why many of you have come out tonight. He's the, the reason why we're here this evening. And when we begin to understand, you know, why the Son of God came to the earth and that he offers us things like forgiveness, that he offers for you things like purpose and, and hope, you know, we're going to begin to see how and why we can be generous and why we can give these good things and why we're called to love the people around us. And so if you've got a Bible with you tonight, um, I'd like to invite you to take it, if you would, and turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, it's in the middle of the Old Testament. If you're grabbing one of the uh, Bibles that's typically around the room, uh, it's on page 479. I know we have some kids' Bibles out there, too, if you want to follow along. I failed to grab the page number, all right? And so you might have to do some work there, ask mom and dad to help you or somebody around you, or maybe there's a table of contents in there. Uh, but Isaiah chapter 9, and get us in the middle of the Old Testament. We'll also have uh, these words up on the screen. But as you're turning there, you know, it's crazy to me. I don't know about you to think that Christmas is just a couple of days away. I mean, it really is when you think about it. And add to that that for most of you, this is probably your last worship service with us uh, in 2016. But let's just all say this. 2016 was a year that did not disappoint. All right? Some incredible stories. All right? As you think about it, as you reflect back and, uh, you know, just thinking about some of those highs, maybe you would agree that for some of you, hey, let's just acknowledge that 2016 gave us shows like Full House, right? Or uh, Fuller House, a new version. Any Fuller House fans in the room here this evening, if you're so uh, courageous enough to, to admit that's the case. We also know that uh, 2016 gave us another Star Wars movie, all right? And even just in the last week, uh, anybody seen Rogue One yet? We've, all right, lots of people. How many of you plan to see Rogue One maybe over Christmas break? the next couple of weeks, or how about this, 2016 also provided additional evidence that there is a God and that miracles do happen. We know that this year in 2016, the Cubs won the World Series, right? And uh, so again, if you needed any more proof, you've got it. But uh, hey, let's also admit this, as, as great as stories as these are, I think for many of us, 2016 might be a year that we'd like to forget to and move on from. And 
Well, you don't need to be reminded that there have been so many negative stories uh, over the past year. I mean, all I need to say is a word or a phrase, uh, something like Orlando or Prince or Baton Rouge, Aleppo, Hurricane Matthew, uh, election, hacking, Hatchimals, right? I mean, you know, you know the story, all right? I, I don't have to say one word or phrase, and I think you get the point, but the truth is it, it's been a crazy year. And these last few months especially have been, and have been very crazy. But in all serious, you know what? Maybe some of you would say, you know what? No, 2016 has been great. It's been a, a great year for me and for my family. Maybe for you, it's a, it's a new relationship. Maybe for some of you, there was a baby that was added uh, to your home or to your life. Maybe if you're a kid, maybe your team won the championship this past year. And so you think, you know what? This was a really good year. Maybe you got a promotion at work or something. But for others of you, you're, well, you're probably like, yeah, let, let's turn the page. Let's move on to a new year, and hopefully things can get better. Whatever your year has been like, whatever you bring in here with you this evening, I think we'd all agree that what's going on out there right now, and when I say out there, meaning in our country and even the world for that matter, well, it doesn't look a lot like peace on earth, good will to men, does it? Uh, it's been a very challenging time, a lot of craziness. But here's the thing. It might surprise you to find that if we turn our attention to the first century, that the time and the location where the original Christmas story takes place, well, it was a pretty crazy world back then too. All right? These were crazy, chaotic times for people living in the first century. First of all, there was political chaos. All right? They had it much like we do. Uh, the Roman Empire had conquered most of the known world. There were these constant uprisings and murderous coups and all these attempts to overthrow a, what was a really oppressive government. Uh, there was uh, financial chaos. And I mean, it wasn't like people were looking out for interest rates or anything like that, but it wasn't unusual for the Roman government to tax people up to 90% of their income. You know, times were tough. It was very difficult for people. Add to that, there was relational chaos. Uh, people were sold as slaves. Women were treated as property, deep divides separated people by color, by religion, and their nationality. You see, back then, this idea of peace on earth, goodwill to men, well, it probably seemed as much of a fantasy to others as it does for us even today. And so here's what I want to do. I, I want to, for just a moment, and kids, you're going to have to really help in this. I would like to invite you to use your imagination, if you would, all right? And again, kids, you might have to help us uh, with this. You're typically a little bit better at this than adults, but I want you to imagine that you're a, a Jewish person, uh, that you're a Jewish person living in the early days of the first century, and one day you come across these words from the prophet Isaiah, and he spoke these words many years before Jesus was born, and we find them in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and kids, if you're taking notes uh, with your note card, you've got an opportunity here to fill in these blanks, but in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we read these words. I, Isaiah prophesies and says, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah is going to go on in this next verse to explain how all of this is from God, and how Jesus will reign over his kingdom, and that he'll reign from David's throne, and that things like peace and justice and righteousness will describe his kingdom, and it'll be a kingdom that will never end. But do this. Now imagine if you would... All right, that you're living in the first century and that you hear these words, and then maybe a few days later, the news spreads or begins to spread that the king has been born, that he is born. And well, think about what you might expect of a king. All right, think about what you might expect a king to look like, or how you might expect a king to act, or what you might expect a king to do with his life. I mean, first of all, where would you expect a king to be born? 
we'd probably expect him to be born in a big cosmopolitan sort of a city, right? A, a city like London or a city like Paris or uh, Rome in this case, or at least Jerusalem or something like that. But, but here's the thing, and here's what I'm praying, and really we're praying that you see tonight and see is this, that it's how so often Jesus defies our expectations. And so often we miss it, and we don't see him for who he really is, and we overlook why he came and what he's capable of doing in and through our lives, or maybe what he's capable of doing in your life, even beginning tonight. And so with that in mind, I want to just take a look for a few minutes at some of the expectations that this world, this big chaotic world that Jesus was born into, would have had for this Savior King. And then I want us to take a look and see what we really got and how Jesus defied all of those expectations and really how that can make all of the difference for us. So if you're taking notes, and uh, these would be in the big kids' notes, all right? And so adults, if you've got uh, your note page and you want to follow along, I want us to first see that the world expected uh, that the king would be, in, would be born in an important city, right? All right, but kids, help me out. Where do we know Jesus was born? What was the name of the town? Bethlehem, all right? We know Jesus was born in a very small town. It wasn't a big cosmopolitan sort of a city. We know that Jesus was instead born in the small town of Bethlehem. Now think about this, all right? What kind of family do you think that Jesus would come from? Or uh, excuse me, what type of family do you think a king would come from, all right? Would it be a rich family or a poor family? What would you think? Rich, rich right? I mean, we, we think it was rich. I mean, in, in fact, the world expected, all right, that this king would be born into royalty, right? But instead, we know that Jesus was well, he was born into to really uncertainty. I mean, think about his story, if you would, for just a moment. I mean, Mary and Joseph arrive in Bethlehem, and there's no room at the Hampton, you know, or Comfort Inn for that matter. And, well, it comes time to have the baby, and there's no place for them. So they end up in this, well, this stable, really. They end up in this, with this manger, which is really just kind of like a barn, but it's for animals, but probably didn't have four walls. And, and to top it off, the, the king in the world at this part, in this part of the world at the time was a guy by the name of King Herod, and he was terribly insecure and really afraid and fearful of any competition. And so when he heard the news about a new king born, he passed an order to kill all of the baby boys in the land. And as a result, Jesus, as a very young baby, uh, they, he and his family would eventually have to flee Bethlehem uh, to Egypt just to survive. Now, that doesn't sound like the life of a king, right? I mean, that doesn't sound like the life of royalty. I mean, that's not, that's not the story I'd write. But you know what? God's, God's ways aren't my ways. Uh, his ways are always higher. His ways are always greater. His ways are always better for us. And this idea of Jesus defying all of our expectations, well, the truth is that it didn't stop with his birth. I mean, it continued on all throughout his life and into his adulthood and into his ministry. I mean, think about this. I mean, where, where would you expect a great leader to live, all right? When you think about a king or even about a president or, uh, or something for that matter, what, what kind of place would you expect a person like that to live? A palace, that's a, a great answer, a palace or a castle or Trump Tower or something like that, right? That's what we'd expect. That's what the world expected, that this king would live in a palace. But we know that Jesus was often without a place to stay. In fact, look at how Jesus described his life at one point before he died in Matthew 8, 20. It says that Jesus replied, foxes have, have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. And then even at the end of his life, even as he rides into Jerusalem for the last time where he's heralded as a hero, really, he's given this amazing welcome where people lined the road and they, they greeted him with these palm branches. And, and well, what was he riding? What did he come riding in on? 
a donkey, right? Yeah, he came riding in a donkey. The world expected, the people of the day expected a horse, all right? They expected a stallion. They expected a war horse, really, but we know that Jesus rode in on a donkey, the cult of a donkey, actually. So here's the thing, time after time, what people saw or expected in Jesus was, well, far different than what everyone thought it should be, or at least than we think it should be. In fact, many people who don't regularly uh, study Jesus, you know, may have this skewed version of who he is. I mean, and maybe some of that's based on a, uh, some Christians that they know, or maybe a church that they attended at one time or another, or what they learned in school, or maybe from some friends. I mean, the truth is for some of you tonight, you could be here and thinking you've got a pretty good idea of Jesus, who Jesus is, but the truth is that well, the real Jesus will always defy our expectations. And this even caused him trouble at the end of his life. I mean, as he rode into Jerusalem that one last time, I mean, everyone was expecting to G- for Jesus to come as this revolutionary, this militaristic leader, really. I mean, even his closest followers were encouraging him or urging him, hoping that he would finally take Jerusalem and all the land once and for all by force. I mean, that's what a king did. You see, the world expected a king of war. But Jesus... Well, he came as the Prince of Peace. Again, let's look back at Isaiah 9 one more time. We've got the words here on the screen. In fact, will you just read them with me together? Let's read these together. Isaiah reports, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. See, God's word says that this baby This child whom we celebrate at Christmas will bring extraordinary wisdom, incredible power, and unconditional love, but he'll also usher in this age of eternal peace for us. But how's he going to do that? And how would he do that? By becoming one of us. And that's what we see in our God, this God of heaven, the creator of all things, This baby in the manger is the son of God, the very gift of God for each of us. See, Jesus is the one who was willing to set aside the comfort of heaven so that he could experience the chaos of this world. Jesus is the one who would come that would go to the cross and he would die for your sin and die for mine. And when you think about it, I mean, you see those tiny little hands in the manger. You imagine those those tiny little hands were those that would one day be pierced by nails and hung on a cross. That, that tender head that certainly rested on Mary's lap would, would be the same head that would have a crown of thorns forced upon it by angry soldiers. And well, in those chubby little arms, they would one day be extended to remind us that the reason that he came to earth was so that you could be forgiven and that we could have an eternal relationship with God. It was on the cross that Jesus gave his life as a perfect and ultimate sacrifice for your sin and mine once and for all. And that sacrifice enabled you and enabled me to have peace with God. That's why we say and know and can be confident that Jesus is our Prince of Peace. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear the word peace, you know, we, well, we tend to think the opposite of war, right? We think the absence of conflict, but the peace that Jesus offers is so much more than that. In fact, the Old Testament uses a word for peace. It's a, a Hebrew word. It's the word shalom. And shalom just simply means completeness. It's uh, wholeness or fullness. And what we celebrate at Christmas is the fact that more than 2,000 years ago, God sent his son into this broken, sin-soaked world. 
and he came to make it whole again. And that peace that he brings, that peace that he offers us is, is not a peace, uh, uh, it's not, it doesn't begin out there, all right? But it's something that begins in here. It's something that begins in our heart. It's something that we experience in our lives. See, the truth is that Jesus came to, to bring you peace. He, he came to make you whole again. And that's what Jesus meant when he said in John chapter 14, verse 27, these are Jesus' words. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I, I do not give to you as the world gives. See, there are all sorts of things out there today. There are all sorts of things that we turn to, that we go looking to for peace. These are really distractions because they really only offer temporary peace, but that's not the case with Jesus. The peace that he offers us isn't temporary, but it's something that is final and forever. Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I want you to please be sure that you see what Jesus is and isn't saying here. He's not promising a peaceful world out there. I mean, out there, there will be trouble. Uh, out there, wars will rage. Out there, injustice will happen. Out there, we'll all make mistakes. The fact is that marriages do come to an end, and we'll lose friends, and family, and relationships will end. I mean, Jesus never promised an end to the trouble out there one day, all right? But not now, not until he returns. But what Jesus does promise is that in the midst of the trouble, that we don't have reason to be afraid. And because Jesus entered the trouble, he's able to understand, and he died, and well, his death and resurrection provide for us all the peace that we will, all the peace you'll ever need. And for some of you, I know that, well, I know that Christmas can be one of the hardest, most difficult times of the year. And maybe that's the truth. Maybe that's the reality of the case for some of you tonight. I mean, maybe for some of you tonight, you feel more broken right now than, well, maybe you ever have in your life before. I mean, maybe for some of you, it's a lost relationship. Uh, maybe it's a lost uh, someone that you loved this past year. Or in the past couple of years, maybe, maybe for you, you lost a job. Maybe, maybe it's a financial mess that you find yourself in right now. Maybe it's legal trouble. Maybe it's a, an addiction in your life or at least an addiction in your home. Maybe, maybe your college semester ended in an absolute disaster these last few days. Tonight, I want you to know that Jesus came to this world for you, and he suffered for you, and he died for you, and he gave his life so that you could have life. He, he can be peace for you in any trouble, no matter what you're facing or what you might be going through. And maybe you think, you know what, that's great, all right, and that's good to know, or, and maybe you need to be reminded of that tonight, but I know that maybe for some of you, what you're thinking really right now is, hey, I wanna know how to have peace with my in-laws, you know, this weekend, or I wanna know how to have peace with the family that I'm gonna spend time with in these next few days, because let's be real, I mean, many of us face a time at Christmas that can really be very overwhelming and not so much for the loneliness, but maybe the fact that you get no aloneness. And so maybe as you think about your next two, three or four days, maybe it marks the stretch uh, uh, of a lot of time uh, with family that maybe, well, for some of them, you don't really care for uh, too much. Uh, maybe for some of you, uh, a good Christmas with your extended family is one where the police don't get called, all right? You know, maybe, maybe, maybe that's what you're hoping for and looking for. Kids, maybe you know that when when Christmas comes around, it's a time, well, it kind of disrupts your schedule because you know you're going to spend a lot of time in the car, right? And you got to spend a lot of time with that aunt who's going to pinch your cheeks, you know, a thousand times and talk about how cute they really are and how big you're getting. And so maybe you're wondering, maybe we're wondering, how can Jesus' peace affect my time with my family? How can he impact maybe some of the chaos that you're anticipating on your Christmas? Well, there's good news for that. 
And there's good news for us in that Jesus anticipated this moment and he's given us exactly what we need. He's given us exactly the right tool to make peace in your home and maybe in your family this Christmas. You know what it is? It's you. It's you. I mean, like you have this potential. It's Christ in you and in your life. You're the answer. You're the one that he wants to use to bring peace to others. You're the one he wants to use to bring peace to your home or peace to your family. And during this series, we've been talking about, you know, again, focusing less on the distractions so that we can be more focused on the really great things that, that truly matter. And today, I believe that Jesus wants to remind each of us of our responsibility to love others. And just watch this instruction that he gave to his followers speaking about this love. John 13, 34, Jesus said, a new command I give you love one another. Now, it's not so much a new command. The newness that Jesus is speaking of here has more to do with the kind of love that we extend to one another. I mean, the love that Jesus is describing is a love that flows from the love that we've already received and maybe experienced from God. And so it's a love that is based on how Jesus loves. And so Jesus says to us, he says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. You see, Jesus is always the perfect example of God's love. And now you and I are called to be the example of Christ's love to the people around us, to the people that we come in contact with. And and here's what Jesus knows, and I think we sometimes forget. See, love really has the power to change everything. It has the power to change people, and Jesus sees that, and he knows that, and so he commands you and me to love one another. He says, as I have loved you, So you should love one another. And how has Jesus loved us? He gave up everything. He gave up everything for us. And he says, now you, you go and do what I've done for you. And so this Christmas, this simple act, you know, of changing your perspective, you know, maybe going into these next few days with this idea that you're gonna show love and extend love to the people around you. I mean, that simple action might not simply have the power and the potential to change someone else's life, but it also has the potential to change everything about how you experience Christ and Christmas this year. Now, let's be clear on what loving others isn't. Loving others isn't just simply tolerating them, all right? Uh, Loving your family members isn't just counting the minutes until you get to leave or hopefully they leave, all right? But here's how you really love someone. You genuinely care for them, you put their needs above your own with compassion. You, you seek to understand their lives. You seek to understand their problems and their story and maybe where they're coming from. And we just simply look for ways, as Jesus did, to serve them and to serve them with a pure heart. And I know that when we talk about that or maybe even suggesting that tonight, I mean, for some of you, you might have somebody on your mind right now thinking, you know what, but I don't love them and I don't feel love for them. Listen, I know this can be hard. Obedience isn't always easy. But as Christians, as followers of Christ, this is the life that has been modeled for us in Jesus and the life that we've been called to as his followers, as his sons and daughters. This is the life that Jesus lived and the life he's called us to live. And he promises to help us in it, that he's not gonna leave us alone, that he'll help us in doing this for others. And why does it matter? Verse 35 there, John 13, 35, Jesus says, by this, By this love, 
everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Notice what he says here. Jesus says that, hey, here's what's going to get people's attention. It, or here's, here, notice what he doesn't say. He, he's not saying, hey, it's the fish on the back of your car, all right, that's going to make all the difference, you know, and people telling that you're a Christian. He, he's not saying that it's the radio station that you listen to. It's not where you eat chicken or what kind of movies you see. Jesus says that people will know you're a Christian by the way you love and serve one another. And so this Christmas, let's be reminded that we have an audience. This whole world really is looking to us as, as an audience and all of your family and so many others may be watching you over these next few days. And well, you've got a terrific opportunity to say with your actions and maybe with your words too, that my life has forever been changed by the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, and his life and his death and what it does for me and it is done for me and what it can do for you too. And when you do that, man, you're ushering the Prince of Peace into your family, into your home, into your relationships, and really into your Christmas. I want to end with this story, and uh, I'll just acknowledge up front, it's probably a popular Christmas Eve story. There's a chance that maybe you've heard this story told before, but it's a fascinating story at that, and I think it really drives home uh, what we've wanted to share with you tonight. It goes like this. It was Christmas Eve 1914. World War I had just begun. The British and French were fighting the Germans in the Belgian countryside. Uh, and the fighting had stopped for about a month now, and the two armies were hunkered down about 200 feet apart from each other. And the area between them really was known as the no man's land because no man would dare go there and expect to live. Well, when Christmas Eve rolled around, the snow started to fall, and the German soldiers lit some candles and started singing Stille Nacht, or as we know, Silent Night. Well, after hearing those first few verses, the French and British joined in, and together they sang Christmas carols in the dark on this cold night of Christmas Eve. And, well, history records that tears filled many of their eyes, and as the song ended, they began to shout out uh, Christmas greetings across the trenches from each other to one another. Well, at some point during the night, the Germans put a white flag out on top of a tree signaling a truce, and sometime after that, the French and British held up a white flag of their own. And then, and it's a little unclear, but someone dared to wander out of the trench into this no man's land, really, toward the other side. And before you know it, other soldiers joined in, and both armies, well, eventually were standing together singing carols, greeting one another and shaking hands. And it was the first day of what became a glorious week of peace. And they played soccer. They traded things like tobacco and chocolate, which don't really go together. They helped each other bury their dead. They worshiped together. And well, sadly, after that week came to an end, they returned to their trenches. The fighting resumed and stretched on for three more years. And well, it just gets you thinking, imagine how things might have changed if the Prince of Peace would have really been allowed to rule from that day forward. Friends, imagine this tonight. Imagine how different your Christmas would be if we went out and loved as we've been called to love. Imagine how different your home would be if you really made an attempt to let the Prince of Peace rule in your life. And imagine how different our world would be if we let the Prince of Peace reign in us and through us and for others to see and the change that could come from it. 
And for some of you here tonight, I mean, maybe even right now, there's a war really. There's a battle that's raging in your soul. I want you to know tonight that you'll never experience peace in your life until you invite the Prince of Peace to come in and to rule your life. And he'll change you and he'll change you in great ways forever. Will you bow your heads with me? As you bow your heads and close your eyes, I want to pray for you in just a moment, but I want to I want to make sure to say this as clearly as I possibly can. That the good news for us and for Christmas forever and always is that Christ gave his life for you and he offers you his forgiveness and he can give you hope and life and give it to you for the full as you trust him and as you surrender your life to him. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that tonight. I know that for some of you, maybe you've never made a decision like that before. Uh, For others of you here tonight, I mean, maybe, maybe you sort of think maybe you did something like that in the past, but you certainly weren't maybe fully aware of what you were doing or what you hope to do in that moment. I want to invite you, give you the opportunity to invite Jesus Christ to be your Lord, the Prince of Peace and the great forgiver of you and of your sin tonight and just offer you a chance to do that by just saying a simple prayer and there's nothing magical about these words but the Lord will know your heart if you mean it. But if that's where you are tonight and if that's a decision that you'd like to make, I just want you to invite you to pray this with me. Father in heaven, I need you. I'm a sinner in need of your grace and your forgiveness. Come in and rule over my life. Give me Jesus here this evening. And if you prayed a prayer like that tonight, man, we would love to meet you up front afterwards. We'd love to talk with you. Maybe someone invited you here this evening. If you prayed a prayer like that, would you maybe talk to them about it? Let them know the decision that you've made. And man, we'd love to help you in taking those next steps. But for each of us, Lord, uh, we thank you for sending your son, our Prince of Peace, your gift to us and for this world. And we want to live our lives for you and confidently in you in all things. Share the name of Jesus so that others may know him too. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.
Father God, we thank you tonight. We thank you as we celebrate the birth of your son. Lord, knowing that uh, that is just the beginning of the story of his life, that he would live a sinless life and die a death that he did not deserve to pay the price for my sins, the sins of the world, Father, so we could be brought back into a relationship with you, that you raised him from the dead to give us hope beyond the grave, Lord. Uh, but we, we take a moment now just to remember that you stepped out of heaven because you loved us so much, didn't want anyone to perish. Father, thank you for that hope. Thank you for that joy. Thank you for the peace that comes through that truth. We love you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.